Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, well, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. It's been a uh, long week. It's been a uh, heavy week for me. So uh, not only um, was it busy, but I wasn't feeling well this week. So you might hear some scratching in my throat. Uh, hopefully I don't cough. So I've been popping... Um, cough drops and drinking tea all morning, and I have some water. And most of all, I hope I have your prayers. Amen? Amen. I hope my strength will come. Amen. Amen. There is a story of two brothers in Germany who started a shoe company together. And after much success in the shoe company, these siblings had a dispute. They fell out with each other. They found themselves at odds, as siblings often do, over the direction of the company, the leadership styles, through pride, and the fact that their wives did not get along, they split the company. They split the company, and each of them in the same little town developed two separate factories, one on the north end of town and one on the south end of town, and they both produced shoes, and these brothers became bitter rivalries as they developed two separate brands, one Adidas and the other Puma. And not only did the family split, but so did the town. The factories were on different sides of the town, and those people who worked in these competing companies didn't speak to each other. They went to separate restaurants. They ate from separate bakeries. They went to separate barbershops. This dispute lasted and lasted. In fact, it was said that when you met somebody in the town, the first thing you did was look at their feet to see what shoes they were wearing. This dispute lasted all the days of their, these men's lives. Even when they died in the mid-70s, one was buried on one end of the cemetery, 
and the other was buried on the other. Reminds us, should remind us that sibling rivalries can be serious and they are as old as creation. When Cain killed his brother Abel, Jacob stole his brother Esau's birthright. Joseph's brothers stole, sold him into slavery over pride and jealousy. David's brothers resented his desire to fight Goliath. And then we have the same thing in our text this morning. The sibling rivalry. Blood feuds have been about many things, beloved. Many things. Money, power, inheritances, such and so forth. And most of the time, the reason for the feud depends on the one you're asking at the time. And oftentimes, when you come across a deeply entrenched blood feud, you will eventually be asked to pick sides. When Jesus came across one, however, he did no such thing. He wasn't wearing Adidas, <clears throat> and he wasn't wearing Puma. Instead, when he came across this sibling squabble, he used it as an opportunity to remind his disciples and even us this morning that the real problem here is not inheritance. The real problem is in the heart. It all began when Jesus came across these two brothers in dispute. One day, as Jesus had been teaching, the Bible says that as Jesus had been teaching, a large crowd gathered around him, and Jesus had been, had been teaching his disciples about trusting, trusting God and, and, and not fearing people and, and living with the conviction of their faith. And while he was teaching these things, the Bible tells us in, in verse 13 of, of chapter 12 that a man yelled out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell my brother to give me what I'm due. Now, this seems rather random, doesn't it? I mean, here was Jesus teaching all about these eternal truths of God, all about the kingdom of God and what is kingdom living in light of himself being the king and all of a sudden, this man yells out some random command, some random request. Sounds random to me. I'm sure it sounded pretty random to everyone who was there that day. Because you see, beloved, they had, they had courts for these things. There were people especially assigned to adjudicate these matters, normally a priest who was given the task of handling and settling these types of disputes. And like even in our day, these disputes were not uncommon. Families quarreled. Families quarreled over inheritances all the time. We know that they still do. But it would have been very uncommon 
for this man to suddenly yell out to Jesus to decide this for him. And in the midst of everything that Jesus was doing, he wanted Jesus to intervene on his side against his brother. Because apparently, a parent had died. A parent had died and, and left property and possessions behind. And, and one brother felt he was getting the short end of the stick. He believed he was not being treated fairly or justly concerning these possessions that the parents had left behind and the property that was to be divided up. And so he wanted Jesus to fix it. He had a problem with his brother, and he wanted Jesus to fix it. Fix it, Jesus. He probably heard on the radio somebody singing, Jesus, he will fix it. Jesus, he will fix it after a while. Never mind, never mind, never mind the fact that Jesus had not given any inclination, inclination that he had come in order to resolve family fights over money. Jesus, fix it. Jesus, fix it. And notice, beloved, he didn't just want Jesus to fix it. He wanted Jesus to fix it in his favor. He wanted Jesus to fix it in his favor. Why? Because we don't just want Jesus to fix our trouble. We want him to fix it in the way we want it fixed. I don't just want Jesus to answer me, beloved. I want Jesus to answer me when I want him to answer and the way I want him to answer. And then this type of thinking, there is no submission to the Lord. There is no trust in his will. And therefore, though, notice how Jesus answered him in verse 14. He says, man, when did I offer myself as an arbitrator of your family disputes? When did that happen? In other words, Jesus was saying, man, I didn't come to join your legal team. This isn't the offices of Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. This is an 888 arbitrator. In other words, Jesus told, told the man, man, you got the wrong office. You dialed the wrong number. And once he set the man straight, then he turned to his disciples and all those in earshot. And he did what he most often did. He used the moment to teach to teach his disciples a more important and relevant truth. Notice what it says in verse 15. Then he said to them, speaking to his disciples now, and all those in their shot, watch out, 
Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He was no longer speaking to the upset brother, beloved. Now he was turning his attention to his disciples. He was speaking to you and me this morning. And this time, it was going to be a quick but stern and right-to-the-point teaching. It's like, the, it's like the first time when you got a hold of some matches and your mother or your, your father grabbed you and said, look, looked you right in the eyes, look, don't play with matches. When they said that, they weren't jesting. When they said that, they weren't laughing. When they said that, they were serious. They were serious because fire is dangerous. What Jesus said, he said seriously. He looked at his disciples and he was serious because greed is dangerous. Unlike what Gordon Gecko said, greed is not good. Greed is deadly. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, this is deadly serious. And you know he is serious because you see how he begins. He says, take care. Be on your guard. Take heed. Beware. Because greed is bad. It is a most insidious and distracting and destructive sin. It makes you believe that you deserve more. Greed, it, it undermines spiritual vitality. It destroys spiritual discipline. One Christian philosopher put it this way. He says, greed is a demon with a large belly, but a small mouth. Whatever you feed it is not enough. It's not enough. And that's what greed is. It's the thirst for more. It's the thirst for more. It's a thirst for more. It's like Oliver, it's like Oliver Twist said, please, sir, I want some more. That's what greed says. Every day, I want some more. More, more, more. And because we're always wanting more, then we start to covet. That's what Jesus says. Be wary of all kinds of greed. For in that develops in you covetousness. It causes us to covet. Covet what other people have. And no matter what we have, we want more. We want more. No matter what house we have, we want the other one. No matter what car we drive, we want the next one. No matter how big the TV, we want a bigger one. We look at other families, and no matter what blessings we have, we want 
someone else's. Greed and coveting distracts us, beloved. It distracts us, and thus we sacrifice what matters most. Because of greed. Because of greed. We sacrifice what matters most. We miss church and forsake this sin together like the Bible tells us to. Why? Because we got to work. Because we need more and more and more. We neglect prayer, prayer and Bible study. Why? Because we're too tired. Tired from what? The grind. The grind to do what? To get more and more and more. We don't have time to serve. We don't have money to give because I need some more and more and more. And the problem, beloved, the problem is greed. The problem is greed. I don't want you to get me wrong this, this morning. The problem is not houses. The problem is not cars. The problem is not work. The issue is greed. The issue is greed. Notice what Jesus said in verse 15. He says, life does not consist in the abundance of these things. In the abundance of these things. The key here is abundance. And the word abundance means accumulation. Excessive over and above, exceeding the necessary or the ordinary. As the Bible tells us in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, the problem is not money. The problem is the love of money. The need for more money and more money because greed is the problem. The issue is not possessions, beloved. It is the abundance, the accumulation of all these possessions. Listen, we all have possessions. We all have possessions. To be in this world is to possess things. We possess clothing, houses, cars, jobs, family, and, and friends. We have all these things, and we need these things. They are blessings from God. But the question becomes, are they more important in our lives than they should be? Are you more into blessings or the one who blesses? This is what Jesus is getting at. Are you more afraid of losing the blessings or losing the one who grants the blessings. And so he says, be careful. Be on guard. Be aware. The enemy is tempting us all the time to make much of the blessings and neglect the things of the one who blesses. That's what Jesus said in another part of 
Mark chapter 8, verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You know, whenever we hear that, we like to think that Jesus is speaking about other people. No, beloved, he's speaking to you and me this morning. He was speaking to his disciples that day. And he didn't just tell them, but he drove the point home with an illustration. He showed them why it's important that you beware and you be on guard because this can happen to anybody. He tells the parable. He says there was a man who had accumulated more than enough. And because he had more than enough, because he had in excess, he built barns to house it. But the barns were no longer big enough, and so he built more. More barns, bigger barns, more investment accounts, more properties, more holdings. So much so that he looked around at all that he had did and he decided now it was time to retire. Now it was time to relax, to entertain himself and enjoy life. His soul was satisfied with the things of this world. But what he forgot, beloved, is that his soul was not built for this world. It was created for eternity. And at the moment of his greatest possessions, he was taken away from them. It was not just that they were taken away from him, beloved. He was taken away from them. And they were given to others to fight and dispute over. It's a sober reminder that what you and I have today, you and I can be taken away from tomorrow. And whose will it be then? Who will fight over it then? And what will it matter to you? What will it matter to you? And because of this, in the parable, God calls this man a fool. A fool. Now, beloved, a fool is a person who lacks good sense. A person who isn't willing to think through the consequences of their actions or thoughts. A person who speaks before thinking, who acts without counsel. A fool can be rich or poor. A fool can be young or old. A fool can be male or female. A fool can be Republican or Democrat. 
Doesn't matter. We come in all sizes. A fool is simply one who decides with limited knowledge or due consideration. That's the issue. Decides with limited knowledge and due consideration. This is why this man is called a fool. Because he didn't consider his life. He didn't consider his thoughts. He didn't consider his actions. He didn't consider his outcomes. He lived his life for no consideration of what mattered most. No consideration of the things that mattered most. That's why he's called a fool. And if we would not be fools, beloved, and if we would actually live by faith this morning, there are three things that the fool didn't consider. But I pray we would consider this morning. In fact, let's not just consider them this morning. I pray that we would consider them at all times. Number one, consider God. Consider God. He failed to consider God. The creator and sustainer of his life and his soul. The one from whom all things come. What he did was, beloved, he looked at his wealth and all of his possessions. And he thought that he was the master of his own fate. He thought that he was the captain of his own soul. But what he failed to consider is what God had told his people. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. All these possessions, all these field of silo and barns, all these investment accounts, all these properties come by way of the gracious gifts of the Lord. Consider God this, this morning, beloved. He failed to consider not only that God is the one from whom all things come, he failed to consider that God is the one who holds life and death in his hands what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. Consider, consider the fact that your life is not your own. Consider the fact that your life is not your own. You live it, you share it, you help it, you even heard it, but it is not your own. You have your life on borrow from God. And at some point, he is going to call it back. Have you considered? Have you considered who is in control? Have you really considered? 
You know what the Bible says a fool does? In Psalm 14 and 1. A fool believes that there is no God. A fool lives his life as if there is no God. A fool goes about their day pursuing more and more as if there is no God. A fool doesn't consider God. Consider God this morning. Consider God and remember that our lives are not by chance or happenstance, beloved. Consider God. Consider the fact that you and I were not born by accident. Consider the fact that you and I do not die by accident either. Consider God and that all of life is overseen by this sovereign and gracious and omnipotent God who's got the whole world in his hands. And it's always, therefore, to consider what God has to say about life. What does God say about this thing? What is the plan of God as I consider my plans? What is his plans for my life beyond the hustle and bustle of this temporary existence? In all of our lives, temporary concern. Do you know, beloved, it is so easy. It is so easy to get caught up in the sauce. And not consider God. But consider him, beloved. Consider what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 and 18, reminding us that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen. This is what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When you consider God, you consider the eternal. Consider the plan. God and the plan that he has for you and your possessions. Consider God first. Consider him first. And when you consider God first, and that helps you to set your life and priorities in place. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. You seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then all these other things will fall into place. When you don't consider God, then all these other things fall out of place. And so does your soul. And then God, and then God calls for your soul. And then God calls for your soul. And when he calls, the question that we need to be sure we're able to ask is by what name will he call us? Because when he called this man, he didn't call him Tony. He didn't call him Robert. 
He didn't call him Aaron. He called him fool. He called him fool. By what name will the Lord call you when he calls? Have you considered God? If you have, beloved, then it's most important also that you consider Jesus. And that's the second thing this man didn't do. He didn't consider Jesus. You know this all began, right, because a man had the wrong idea of who Jesus is. This all began. This whole discourse began because someone had the wrong idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Remember, that brother wanted Jesus on retainer. He wanted someone he could call upon when he got into a pinch. But we need to consider Jesus, beloved. Consider Jesus this morning and the fact that Jesus... Is not a fixer. He is not a fixer that you call upon just when you are in trouble. And this is more common than we want to admit, beloved, that we treat Jesus as if he is our fixer. It's common. It's really common. You know, I like this generation of Christians. This current generation of Christians, I, I, I like them. Now, some people don't. They shake their head at them. They're kind of pessimistic about them. They, they wonder if the church is in good hands with today's generation, but not me. I like this generation of Christians. The church today, this generation is, is, is more diverse and inclusive than the church has ever been. This generation of Christians is more open to new ways of representing the kingdom than the church has ever been. This generation of Christians is more sensitive, more sensitive to the needs of others and the global impact that our faith can and needs to have than it has ever been. But I would like to remind this generation of something. That in all that it is doing, it, it needs to get a reminder of who Jesus is, of who Jesus is, because Jesus is not your BFF. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is not your lover. Jesus is the sovereign Lord. Jesus is the master of your fate. Jesus is the captain of your soul. Jesus is not somebody you invite to the party. Jesus is the party. Jesus is not somebody you simply call upon in times of trouble, beloved, but you do as David said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Always. That's who Jesus is. The one that I consider all the time. Consider Jesus. Don't just consider your soul, but consider the one who died for your soul. Consider him. Consider him this morning. Do you realize, beloved, that every religion in the 
world is concerned for the souls of people. But only Jesus was concerned enough to die for them. Consider him as you are considering all the other possessions and, 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 and people and places that you have in your life. Consider Jesus. The one who gave his life for your soul. Consider him. And when you do that, then you do, you will do the thing that this fool failed to do. And that is consider eternity. Consider God. Consider Jesus. But consider eternity, beloved. The man in the parable was short-sighted. He could only see as far as his possessions went, as far as his barns and the earthly investments could take him. But you do understand, beloved, that the goal of life is not to last in this world. The goal of life is to make sure that you will last in the world to come. How many times how many times have you heard people say, well, when I die, I just want to be remembered. I just want to be remembered. Well, listen, beloved, being remembered is not the goal. Whether my neighbors remember my name does not matter. I don't care about being remembered. When I die, I want to make sure that I'm redeemed. Remembered, please. I want to know that I am trusting in the Lord. I want to know that I know the Lord. Or better yet, I want to be confident that the Lord knows me. That's what matters, beloved. That's the goal of this life. The goal of this life is securing the reality that you are redeemed in the next. That's the goal. Why? Because all things in this world come to an end. They all come to an end. Doesn't matter. They all come to an end. The only thing that lasts is eternity. The only thing that lasts is eternity. Cars don't last. Houses don't last. Money doesn't last. People don't last. Minds and bodies don't last either. One day you lose your shape, and then the next day you lose your mind. They don't last. The only thing that you can take into eternity and will last, and is the goal, is your soul. Are you considering that this morning? One day, one day, beloved, one day the Lord is going to say, one day the Lord is going to say, as he said to the fool in Luke 12 and 20, your soul is required. 
The life I loaned you, I'm taking it back. I'm taking it back. And at that point, beloved, your bank account is going to be meaningless. How many investments, how many properties, how many holdings you have and how big you have built your silos is going to be meaningless. All that is going to fall to another. And all that will matter at that time, what did you do with your life? That's it. That's it. What has your life been? Has it been? Has it been the accumulation of more and more and more and more? Has it been to simply fill up bigger and bigger barns and storehouses? What has it been? Beloved, when you die, you need to consider this. When you die, will you lay there clutching onto the bedpost because you don't want to leave your stuff behind? Or will you be looking and reaching up for Jesus? Will you find your life in the sum of your earthly possessions? Or will you find it in Christ? In Christ alone, will your hope be found? Will he be your light, your strength, and your song? Listen, beloved, the question this morning is not will you and I have possessions. We all have possessions. The question is do I want more possessions or do I want more Jesus? Do I want more things or do I want more Jesus. Because you do understand, beloved, our hearts are designed for more. Our hearts are designed for more. That's why we chase after more. Because our hearts are not filled. They never get filled. And we need more and more and more. More money, more pleasure, more space, more time, more love. And the world, the flesh, and the devil, you know what they are eager to do? They are eager to give us more. All the more you want. More, more, and more. As long as you don't go after more of Jesus. But the reason your heart has been designed for more is because your heart is designed for eternity. And in that, it is, it is designed to be filled up with more God, more Jesus, more Jesus. Beloved, ask yourself the question. If you are given 
the opportunity to have more of this world or to have more of Jesus, which one would you choose? That is the question this morning. The fool chooses more in this world. But I hope we would say like the Negro spiritual said, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. In the morning, when I rise, just give me Jesus. When I come my time to die, just give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. And when it comes your time to die, and if you have indeed pursued more and more Jesus, the Lord your God will know you. And he will call you by name. He will call you by name. And with joy, with joy, your soul will leave and go home to him. Let's pray.